We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast. I'm Paul Cassidy, standing in for Elliot Smith, who you should still go ahead and block at Yankee Gunner on Twitter. Today, I'm doing the Euro Breakdown with Phil Costa, who's been with us regularly, doing a great job. We're going to review the England game. Yes, England comes up against its old nemesis, its old enemy, its old foe. It's England versus its own mediocrity. All right, a little harsh. Actually, Scotland were pretty darn good. And to review that game and a couple of other games, it's me and Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Great, thanks. In fact, in some ways, I think I'm on your podcast and uh, I'm the guest. You know your way around, know the furniture, know the controls here on Euro 2020. So I feel like I'm being interviewed, like you're working your way through all the podcast hosts, Tim, Elliot, you gave him a good run. You obviously really had him down for the job, but you're looking at other candidates, maybe just to prove out to your boss that you've done your homework. Tim, myself, uh, you get a shot at Clive, and uh, then you make your choice who you want to work with in the long term. But So I hear it's sweltering in Berlin. Yeah, it's been a really warm few days, actually. You know, we're hitting 35, 36 degrees, and you know, when you're in a small studio apartment with no air conditioning, things can get a bit rough. Um, but hopefully there's just a few more days of this and then there's thunderstorms around the corner. So hopefully that can put some fresh air back into my place and I can have the windows open without getting attacked by mosquitoes every day. So we're looking Good. forward to it. Well, I've, I've no understanding of this. I live in a country which is basically one giant air conditioner, uh, regardless of circumstances or weather. So I cannot conceptualize of what you're going through. Right. So we had three games today. Um, we're going to focus on the main game, England-Scotland, as you would. Wasn't it kind of predictable in a sense that this would be the game it was? I mean, it's England-Scotland. Okay, they, there's never been a, a, a goalless draw between these guys at Wembley, apparently, I, I heard them say today. But besides that, it seemed somewhat predictable that it was this kind of a game. It's the middle game of the group, and it's england scotland and, uh, you know, this is not the worst Scottish team there's been for some time. Um, there's some strength. There's there's uh, some ability to play ball. So uh, how did you feel about it at the end of the game? Was it kind of the game you expected or did you did you think you were going to see more in terms of England, in terms of the overall performance? I mean, in, in terms of the spectacle itself, I, I really enjoyed the game, I have to say. I think these sorts of occasions are, are really good and I enjoy the kind of, obviously some people take it too far, but I enjoy the, the rivalry to these games. Mm-hmm. Um, and straight and, away... And you're talking know, about the rivalry with Scotland, not with mediocrity, right? Yes, with Scotland, yeah. I'm determined to get a laugh out of my jokes. It's just easier to give in early, Phil, and just give me a token giggle or whatever, <laughs> a girlish <laughs> giggle. Put a laugh track on that yeah, one yeah. In, the, in the post edit. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and straight away you could just kind of see a couple of challenges like snap in, and I thought, okay, we've got something here because you know nobody wants to lose this game, and especially um, sort of in a in a fashion that doesn't give your you know yourselves the best um, reputation and impression. So yeah. I really enjoyed the game, and I I was pleasantly surprised by Scotland, and like you said, maybe not so surprised about England, even though the mood's been kind of good because. I kind of, as, as much as I like Gareth Southgate, the man, I have a lot of, uh, not issues, but concerns with Southgate, the manager, and they were mm. kind of ringing true today. So Yeah. But it, it was very much the middle game in a group, wasn't it? They, they kind of, there's always a game like this for every team. It's it's rare you look back on a campaign and say, oh, they didn't have one of these games in it. So I, I guess, you know, if if we're an England supporter making excuses for my team, that's kind of where I kind of feel with this one. What did you think of the, the lineup he picked? Um, I wasn't too surprised. I mean, obviously, the he changed the fullbacks with yeah. Reese James and Luke Shaw coming in uh, to replace Carl Walker and Kieran Trippier, which I had, you know, no real issue with I maybe did he change that just to change something or yeah maybe I mean he's kind of made a big deal about rotation and having to leave like some people out and you know he left Saka out today for example and it was Jaden Sancho and Ben Chilwell in the first game so I'm not sure maybe it's like him you know showing people that nobody's guaranteed anything yeah but for me personally I wouldn't have started Declan Rice I think today you could have put Calvin Phillips alongside maybe Jude Bellingham or drop Mason Mount deep and put Grealish in further forward. And I think they kind of paid the price for that because I'm, I'm perfectly fine with Declan Rice. I think he's a good player. Um, but especially when you're kind of needing to do something with the ball, he's just a bit too conservative for me in, in those sorts of occasions. And I think that kind of safe nature of his and the general lethargy contributed to England kind of not doing much today yeah they struggle to get kind of dynamism vertically in this game Um, but you'd have you'd have dropped Rice brought in kept Phillips is that right between those two yeah why why Phillips over Rice because I think he can do that role that Declan Rice does I mean he, he does it for Leeds yeah. Um, kind of the deeper one of the two in a pivot and then the person alongside him can still do the defensive work but also have a bit more attacking impetus Yeah. Um, that was just sort of my general thinking because England are strangely quite short in sort of central midfield I know Jordan Henderson's not 100% fit and Bellingham's very young but yeah maybe I would have been tempted to drop Mason Mount a little bit deeper and then bring Grealish into the side yeah I mean it's basically the same midfield they played against uh, Croatia, Croatia, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and yet this played out totally differently. Weirdly, Croatia were more open, maybe more enterprising at times than than Scotland were. Um, at least that was my feeling on why why that midfield seemed to work so well against Croatia, where they kind of play them off the park. Okay, a little little older team, but I mean, Croatia have a, still have a good midfield. I mean, they have the lad is a Brozovic. He's Inter Milan. They've uh, Kovacic. They have uh, Modric, who's still Real Madrid's midfield player, and and for what he does, still gets about the place. And yet, here they could make little progress. Was this a factor of? Three at the back, three in midfield for Scotland, and the the two wing backs there to basically keep everything tight. Was it just a difference of approach of their opponent that kind of showed up this midfield? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I mean, personally, for me, Scotland didn't do the the sort of the typical we're going to sit back and no and um, break. They did play, yeah, yeah. I, I thought they had, you know, particularly in the first half, they had some real nice spells of possession. I thought uh, John McGinn was was really energetic and, and putting himself about, and Billy Gilmore, um, you know, to start your first international game against England. He was really um, good. Yeah, it was really impressive, and I thought he struggled a bit at the start with the pace of the game. Mm. I think Maxon Mount was kind of r- running rings around him at the start, but he settled, and yeah, really impressed with him, and obviously when you've got people like 
Andy Robertson, you know, sprinting end to end with incredible intensity and you know, they have players. I mean yeah. this is it's what you mentioned before, these these this Scotland side are, are no chumps. I mean, I know they're the third lowest ranked team in, in the tournament, but you know, there's a lot of Premier League experience here and I was really impressed with a few of them. Um, I'm sure we'll get onto them later, but I think they did themselves really proud and, and Steve Clark in particular has done an amazing job with this team. Yeah. I mean, they struggle to score goals, as I understand it, and they have done in this tournament. But they're a good team. I mean, the, uh, for the opponent, the opponent has to score goals, and this team isn't going to make it easy. They, and it's not just by sitting deep. I mean, they do play, and they can hurt you on the counter. They just didn't polish it off, and they created some opportunities. So, like, I certainly got the 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 sense that this team... Um, required England to get to a level of performance that they didn't seem to be ready for on the day. It was interesting that that Harry Kane got yanked whenever that was, 70-something minutes, which doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Is that where you'd have, have uh, I guess, the, the other... Foden had gone before that, right? And they yanked yep. Foden for Grealish. So I guess there's yep. two points to talk about there. The first one, Gre- like this was a, a nutrient agar dish for why you'd put Grealish on the field in some ways, right? It's set, it was set up to, to reveal Grealish in the se- second game on 71, two minutes or something like that to show what Grealish can do in a game like this. And I don't, I wouldn't be saying this was a, a knock against Grealish. I think he's a brilliant player. But it did seem set up for the Grealish show, and yet they could make no progress. England could get no purchase into to Scotland, even when he came on. We saw Grealish dropping deep and getting fouled in his own half at one stage uh, as he tried to get on the ball. Um, what was your thoughts on the, the bringing Grealish in in this game and how he was used when he was on the pitch? Yeah, I mean... I do have sim- some sympathy with Southgate because there are so many options yeah. for essentially three places because yeah. Kane is, is most more often than not going to be the starting striker. So all about those those three positions behind the striker, you've only got so many players to, to actually put there. Yeah. Um, I do think it's difficult because with 20 minutes to go, you haven't got so long to impact the game and he was maybe put on sort of in the wide areas where maybe I would have maybe told him to, to get involved more centrally because um, I feel that he can do a lot more damage there. But I, I know that we sort of created a couple of chances down the left-hand side. I think Shaw had one and, you know, that he sort of blazed wide, but it was his sort of interplay there that created the opportunity. So I think I would maybe like him be on the pitch a bit longer I, for sure, I think um, Stephen O'Donnell, I really um, sort of tore him to pieces in the first game because I thought he was well below the standard required, but he improved a lot today. And basically when Grealish came on, he was stuck to him like his shadow. I mean, he did not give him a, an inch. And I think particularly with Che Adams dropping deep as well, um, they basically nullified any threat for England. But, you know, it wasn't their best attacking performance, but I think a lot of that was down to Scotland being so organised and committed. Yeah, um, it, it was, I mean, he, he's got to be frustrated. This was his kind of the big reveal. Uh, apologies if you hear the, me using my Manscape 4.0 in the background as we're chatting here. It's actually the gardener next door working on his lawn. Um, but, you know, they bring in Grealish, you expect great things and like he's a great player, but but as I said, gets no purchase in the game. Um, what did you think the subs overall? Because like the other one uh, I wasn't sure about was taking off Rashford, sorry, bringing on Rashford. But to me, he's kind of similar to Sterling. They switched Sterling to the kind of the right wing, um, Grealish on the left, and then they bring in Rashford for Kane. And that felt kind of like... In some ways, Sterling and Rashford bring a lot of the same threat running in behind, and there wasn't much in behind to run into. Um, I know Kane's a little leggy and maybe looks a little out of form, but he's an absolute jammy bastard if you're Arsenal, and he'll still score in the 92nd minute 
um, or rattle the crossbar with a free kick or, you know, he's always that threat. Uh, I guess while he didn't do anything, uh, I didn't think he did anything wrong, but he didn't get any service. And it seemed more about service than than form for me with Kane. I wasn't sure about I wasn't sure about the subs at all, to be honest. But I could see, like taking off Foden, I could see keeping Grealish, wanting to keep Mount, wanting to keep, uh, well, yeah, bring on Grealish, Mount Foden, and uh, keep Kane up top and see what happens. I don't know what what your thinking on it is. I mean, I had no issue with with taking Kane off. I thought actually quite uh, I disagree with you there I thought he was quite off the pace today um, yeah. he wasn't really getting involved I think in the first half he only had like 10 touches or something like that which is obviously down to service as well um, but I don't know he just looks very uh, de- late de- today. yeah 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 he so definitely he's... looks off the pace he looks labored yeah. um, so it's kind of just a good feel that you know is it partly service? Is it is is it how good they blocked up the middle that he was looking frustrated and being frustrated? Um, I, I just didn't sense in the rest of them a goal coming as the problem or the space. Like, do you have any issue with Sterling and Rashford? Is that just me? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you said before about the being they're the kind of guys that you'd expect to be running in behind, and there was no space in behind. I maybe would have. I thought Grealish was the right substitute, yeah. um, and I maybe would have explored the option of Jaden Sancho yeah. because I, when you're playing a deep defence, you need people who can kind of engage defenders and more importantly, who are comfortable with the ball, like in and around the box to do the little tricks or the passes or the little one-twos, you know, stuff to just unsettle defences. And I thought Rashford hardly got involved. Yeah. Um, Grealish tried to get involved, but they kind of just kicked him around. So, you know, I maybe would have looked at taking off. Rice and bringing on Jude Bellingham, who can maybe do a bit more than him in, in the final third. So, or even Calvert Lewin. I, I don't have any mm. issue with Lewin. Maybe if you want to swing a few crosses into the box, he's kind of more of that kind of striker than, than Harry Kane. But, mm. you know, it's kind of, I don't think England did anything particularly badly. Um, at the end of the day, this is, you know, far from a bad result for them. They're still. Um, second level on points with Czech Republic and they'll fancy themselves in the, in the final game but I just don't think they did enough I, for me personally they left a lot on the pitch yeah. which is kind of a bugbear for me because I think on this kind of occasion maybe they could have gone for it but I do understand that you don't want to get caught so um, yeah. you know, it was kind of what you said it was the typical second game where nobody really wants to do anything too risky in case of what it could mean for the rest of your group stage yeah, they're both basically still alive. Um, so what's your England YOLO team? So you're appointed, well, maybe you're not appointed manager, but you're the manager whisperer and you're whispering in Gareth Southgate's ear. Uh, not a completely ridiculously uh, over your tips England team, but if if you could pick your team and, and your your way of playing, what would it be at the moment from this squad? I mean, it's difficult because a lot of the players are either injured or coming back from injury. For example, Maguire, I think Tyron Mings gets fair criticism because I don't think he was good last season. But, I mean, so far in the two games, he's been you know, more than competent. I think he had a couple of big headers today. So, yeah. I mean, Maguire would be my probably my pick for the left-sided centre-back, but I've got no issue with Mings. For me, the issue is further forward. I don't think when you've got the the ball or the majority of the ball, you don't need Declan Rice in there um, because his natural tendency is to even drop between the two centre-halves and it's just like you don't need to be there. Yeah, um, Scotland weren't particularly pressing him. I mean, when England obviously went over the halfway line, they did, but, you know, Declan Rice, when he picked up the ball, he was kind of going left to right, passing it to the Reese James at right back, getting it back, bringing it to Shaw. And it was like, okay, but we need a little bit more here just to get the team going. And I thought unintentionally he kind of contributed to to some lethargy. So for me, I would like to see Mason Mount in a, in a deeper role alongside Phillips because I think that's a more balanced blend of attributes. And then obviously further forward, you've got Grealish to come in, Sancho to come in. Rashford to come in, Saka to come in. You know, it's an it's an embarrassment of riches, really. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm quite happy to to mix and match with those guys. Really, I don't think the personnel was the issue. I just think it was the the urgency and the style today. I don't think they um, sort of had the the in-game management or the intuition to to get around Scotland. But you know, this is not me taking anything away from Scotland because I think they've played really well and I enjoyed their performance. Yeah, and I like I remember in particular the West Ham game against Arsenal where they started so fast and they got the 3-0. And I was trying to work out how they did it and I watched the first 25, 30 minutes again and again and again to see how they undid us, how they slipped us out of our cocktail dress so quickly. And um, like to your point, even though they played great, Rice was still basically moving, making the choices uh, kind of pulling the strings, but in that horseshoe passing shape up the wings. And like, even at their most, agri- like he's a great dribbler and he can pick, I, I love him as a player. I'd absolutely have him. Um, and he can dribble up the middle of the park. But uh, I agree with you. Phillips is the guy who'll, who'll break, who'll accelerate things and paint, you know, he plays in a very forward leaning team that's trying to get up the pitch as quickly as possible and catch get get the drop on you. And Rice is more patient and will kind of pull the team one side and then pull the team the other side. And I won't be surprised if he turns your passing into somewhat more horseshoe shape than it would have been otherwise. And that certainly seemed to be how it played out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's what you said. It, maybe it was just the, the wrong kind of game for, for the wrong player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was you know really impressed with Scotland. I think in particular their kind of Premier League cohort. You know, Scott McTominay playing in a right back, mm. uh, right centre back role was really impressive. I thought Kieran Tierney for his first game back was you know uh, as solid as we've come to to know and expect. And I've just you know developed such a strong attachment for him. I think he's brilliant. I thought Andy Robertson was great as well. Shea Adams was really smart and technical up front alongside Lyndon Dykes and even Billy Gilmore we mentioned before who was super composed in midfield. But you know, there's a there's a bit of something to decide, a bit more than than maybe most people would um you know would expect. And if you look at the tables, it's basically all or nothing against Croatia in match day three. Mm. And that's gonna be an absolute cracker because there's so much at stake. Um, and I don't know what you think, but I quite fancy them now, to be honest, yep. having Croatia maybe go through the, the motions a bit earlier. I mean, I'm sure we'll get onto them, but I, I found Scotland very intense, very committed. And, you know, goals are the only problem for them, but all you need is, is kind of one chance. And, you know, why not? I, I hope they can do it. Yeah. So while you're talking there, it occurred to me, I wanted to ask, I don't know if anybody else is interested in this, but anyway, um, did you ever watch, like, the Euros in particular, non-analytically? And I'm, what I really mean is, when I was watching as a kid, a long time ago, um, I didn't really care. I just watched, like, I'd watch, I love the Euros. Ireland are shit, right? So they're they're rarely in it. And in, in some way, like, I, I can't help, but get behind them when they when they're playing and stuff. But it's kind of a relief when they're out because they're not very good. Um, we were good once for a while and it was exciting. But now I'm just kind of waiting for the misery to be over so that I can enjoy the tournament, support whatever team's playing a bit, uh, kind of stepping up. Um, whoever takes my fancy and when they lose, I'm over it like 0.03 of a second later. So that's kind of the Euros for me. I just enjoy it. And in a way, it's an opportunity not to try and analyze and not worry about formations and not worry about who the players on the pitch are, apart from the three or four who kind of lighted up a bit. Were you ever non-analytic in terms of how you consumed your football, the Euros or or the Premier League or even just, you know, international football in general? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a bit more difficult to do that now because it's, it's, it's my job, you know, to be um, sort of aware of what's going on and who's playing where and, you know, what's happening in, in which group. Um, but for sure, I mean, I can, I can remember some of the Euros when I was growing up. I mean, my first sort of major memory was was 2002 of the team and getting lobbed by Ronaldinho. And I watched it in school, you know, when they bring the little yeah, TV. You were probably in. eight. 
Uh, yes, I was seven going on eight in 2002. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> yeah. So what about like when you were 18 or 20, you know, like fully grown, fully baked? Yeah. Were you analytic at that point? Because like I, I didn't get analytical till I was well into my 40s. But anyway. No, I mean, I think once I kind of turned 18, I knew that I wanted to pursue this in a career. So I think I sort of watched most games with with my analytical hat on, but for sure there's games that I just enjoy, you know, um, especially um, I thought the last world cup was really fun. I, I really yeah. enjoyed the last world cup and, you know, there was obviously some, some really big occasions in, in South Africa and Brazil that were also brilliant tournaments as well. So you can still kind of enjoy it even yeah. if you are watching with a, a fine tooth comb, you know? Yeah. But I do love like the euros. Cause then I, Generally, I dispense with analytics, stats, like, and I just fully embrace narrative, big name mm. football, and just like entertain me. So, like, the, these games, I just like to dial it back and just watch the football flow. But of course, yeah. we do a podcast, so you actually have to pay attention to some of the footballers out there. Oh dear. But um, yeah, I must say, I really warm to the Euros in general. And like, I'll pay a bit of attention in the qualifiers generally. Um, but like, uh, but once we get to the knockout rounds, that's when I get serious and really kind of focus in on the game. And um, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is when we get to the next round. Mm -hmm. um, well, no, it's more in preparation for the next round. I've got like... Here's the the eight big names, and maybe they're the they're kind of the the old European names in terms of football teams. And I want to get your ranking for where you think they're at. It's not so much who'll win. Like I'll give you an example. You may think of Germany as a big big tournament team, and so when I ask you about to rank the following eight teams, I'm not asking for do you think they'll be a big tournament team and and will will their mentality and psychology I more mean in terms of the where they're at in terms of their footballing in the tournament so far and the quality of the squad not so much oh they're like let's let's black box it you don't know the name of the country you just know kind of what you've seen in terms of the, their style of football uh, how they've performed and kind of the quality you see on the pitch and on the bench so I, I've had a rough stab at at ranking the top eight and I'd ask you to rearrange it. So I've got, at the moment, my feeling is footballistically, one, France, two, Italy, three, Belgium, four, Germany. I might have, I might have checked <laughs> the label on the tin on that one. Five, Holland, six, Portugal, seven, England, eight, Spain. And like, you don't need to be consistent. So, like, if I were to ask you this question in a week's time, you don't need to be thinking ahead. Well, hang on, would I? Will I be changing my opinion? So it's kind of a snapshot right now. How do you think so far those teams are shaping up? One France, two Italy, three Belgium, four Germany, five Holland, six Portugal, seven England, eight Spain. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, those for sure are the, are the top eight. I mean. It's quite difficult to judge some of them because obviously Spain, Portugal, France and Germany have still only played one game. Okay. So we, we haven't really yep. seen them in, in another situation or yep. you know, it could have just been one good 90 minutes or I'm one bad. I'm not holding you to this, Phil. I'm not holding you. No, no. I mean, for sure, France and Italy are my top two. Yeah. Um, Italy have, have done a really good job and, and for sure they'll be quietly fancy, uh, fancying their chances. Um, Belgium three is is a fair shout as well. I think they've, you know, they've had a good start. Obviously, maximum points, and they came back from behind against Denmark the other day. So that shows they've got a little bit about them. I don't think I would have Germany fourth. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did check um, the tin on that one. I lied. Yeah. Um, so maybe I would. You know, be tempted to throw Netherlands there, maybe. I'm yeah, not sure. Or Portugal, maybe. Yeah, I, to be honest, I wasn't impressed with Portugal at all. No. I mean, still drawing with Hungary in the 85th minute, and then they kind of blitz them at the end. But yeah. I think they have levels to go up. Um, I think England yeah. fifth would be fair. 
maybe. Yeah, fourth or fifth for England, as I'm looking at it here, yeah. Yeah, and then who's left? I mean, Spain. Um, Spain. Wasn't impressed with them either, to be honest. Uh, I know it's the first game and they were probably figuring a, th- a few things out, but maybe I would have them sixth or seventh. Um, maybe last, actually. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, and the same with Germany. I think maybe Spain and Germany are my bottom two. Yeah, but they've only played one game. Yeah, and then I would have, you know, in between them, uh, sort of Portugal, Netherlands, um, England, Germany kind of fighting out for those four spots. So, yeah. Um, and then outside of the, if if I can call them the big eight, uh, any dark horse you see? Uh, not so much that they'd get through to the next round, or, but is there anybody you think deserve maybe has a shout at being in the the top eight and could go some ways into the tournament? That's a better team than than maybe I'm giving them credit for. Yeah, I mean, my first shout of Turkey has, you know, uh, been an absolute disaster. So I hope nobody put my <laughs> yeah, on that. I heard that. Um, but, I mean, since the tournament started, I think two teams have kind of stood out for me. And that's uh, firstly Wales yeah. and secondly Ukraine. Um, what I about think Russia? Done... What do you think of Russia when you saw them? The... <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they have enough. Um and there hasn't been a kind of a sustained spell of pressure in any of the games that I've watched to convince me that they could hurt teams. Um, but Wales have kind of shown enough for me to be like, okay, they're not, you know, just the typical minnow who sits back. I've, you know, with Ramsey, Bale, Dan James, they've got more than enough ability there to hurt teams, and, and with Kiefer Moore as well. But defensively, defensively, they've been really strong as well. And Ukraine, um, maybe were a bit slow out of the blocks against the Netherlands but when they turn it on they've got a lot of talent and I maybe have a little soft spot with, with them because of Shevchenko so yeah um, who's you know one of my favourites growing up so yeah I think those two are maybe the the new dark horses after I'm going to do the men in black memory thing about my turkey suggestion so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, you you mean to everybody else or to yourself and to to Elliot? Because <laughs> oh, a lot of people heard it. I can tell you. Yes, you're gonna have your work cut out for you. Um, so let's let's come back to England and look forward a little bit. Um, so we shouldn't lose our shit over this particular performance, and especially not in my case because I'm Irish and I don't really care. But that's not quite true. I tend to support England till they piss me off and get all cocky later on in it so i'm actually even against scotland i mean you would think an irishman is pulling for the the scottish underdog but i i, I mean i was i was actually kind of egging them on at at times but i do tend to end up supporting england despite the fact that they got harry kane um i i made a note earlier a, a while ago and i i kind of forgot um what what i was writing there i thought i'd said we'd brought off Immobile as our striker on 70 Minutes. It was the Immobile striker. Okay. That, that is actually a joke from one of my friends. I've been I've been twisted into making his joke on air. There you go. Um, but I, I guess my question with England is going forward. Um, mm. I think there's still reasons for great optimism there. One of the things that I've noticed is a new look, Jordan Pickford, and they're talking about him um, working with the psychologist, which I greatly regret because I kind of missed that bit of crazy he's provided. But he had a really good game today. He made uh, he's like pinging long balls. He got was was it Sterling? He got in behind. He had mm-hmm. uh, got a great hand down for a save. Yeah, um, he's just he's he's turned around to his teammates telling them to calm down and and like doing the fingers to the temple to like to think smart guys. Um, and like uh, I wasn't expecting him to be like vaguely, vaguely calming and reassuring for the team, um, uh, which is my kind of uh, that was my one hope of, of a major weakness. But they're actually just a very strong team across the board. This is the most, as a non-English supporter, the most optimistic I would say for England's chances that I can. Like every other time they've looked good for a tournament, I felt, yeah, but you got this Achilles heel here or there or wherever. And this just seems like a very solid team. As you say, with Southgate, 
he's maybe not tactically the most he, he doesn't light up everybody's uh christmas tree but he's very solid very sound and in an international tournament that may just be what a team needs like going forward do you still feel that level of optimism that this is a very solid team that could go deep and whispers it quietly could actually get to the final and and maybe get a result i mean it's difficult because i mean they don't concede a lot of goals i think under southgate their defense has been very strong very secure yeah um they have a lot of good players in in that area and like you said, the improved Pickford has been a bonus because a lot of people were clamoring for Dean Henderson to start, but I don't think yeah. he's ready at all for that. Um, it, for me, it's just putting everything together and scoring the goals up front because my issue is that I don't think Southgate is a bad manager. I just think he's naturally conservative. Yeah. And when maybe the game's in a bit of a lull or... Um, you know the opposition are, are comfortable and you need to do something to spark some change or to maybe be a bit proactive I don't really see that from him yeah. and you know that's sort of my main issue with him it's not that he's a bad coach because I think the system is good um, the personnel is good and it's just the small little fine-tuning pieces up front that that haven't quite clicked yet but for sure England are one of the strongest teams in the tournament and they should be, in my opinion, anything less than the semi-final. And I think yeah. that's enough performance. I mean, being solid and having depth, I mean, he can basically handle an injury to almost any player and have a, a quality replacement for them. Absolutely, and, yeah. And tournaments are about not making mistakes. So, you know, I do, like, more than, like... You know, back, back in the day, it's coming home, it's coming home, all that stuff. Um, I actually feel they're more solid for this tournament than than really any other uh, tournament they've been in. It doesn't guarantee you'll, you'll win, but I just don't think... I don't see the weaknesses that I've seen in previous years or the fragility or the... It just all seems very, very solid. Um, could be unlucky, but... Uh, i got to say, I fancy them to go deep in the tournament. So, their next game's against uh, the Czech Republic. How do you, if I remember that right, uh, how do you see this one playing out? I mean, I think they will win. Um, Maybe not by a huge amount, but I think they'll win that game. Obviously, the Czech Republic are a very solid team. Um... And the way the group is at the moment, someone else could end up on four points. So whoever sort of finishes third has a, a strong chance to um, to be in the next round by the best third place finish. So for the Czechs, it's, there's not so much at stake, although maybe they'll want to at least get a draw. But I think England should have enough um, to beat them, even if it's by another 1-0 or you know, two one or something like that. But I, I'd fancy them. I think he might change a few, a few players for the next game just to, you know, put some spark back into the side. Sure, and I might see uh, Rice versus uh, Suchek, I guess, in the midfield shaping up to each other. So that will add a, an interesting dimension to the to the battle. Uh, so uh, Scotland versus. Um, Croatia uh, you think Scotland have an, it sounds like you fancy Scotland having a shot at that and, and uh, maybe getting through yeah I mean why not um, they've definitely given themselves a chance with, a, with their point today their well earned point and for me I don't know obviously Croatia have this, the, the star quality to be able to put the ball in the back of the net um, you know They've got players who, are, who have been here, worn the T-shirt, done it on at club level before. So obviously that's sort of going against them. But I saw enough in the team today, um, and especially in the first game when they missed a lot of chances. I thought they were quite unfortunate to lose against the Czech Republic. Um, you know, if they can kind of just get their finishing boots on, um, they, they definitely have a chance. Because I think in terms of the system, 
and and the personnel they're 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 a strong side. It's just about putting that final touch um, together in the penalty area because even today you kind of saw one or two occasions where you were like, oh, it's a nearly moment. You know, if you could just control that properly or time his header better, it might have been different. But um, you know, why not? I'd like to 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 put my sort of stripes with the home nations for this one. So yeah, why not? Yeah. So, um, I have to say I've enjoyed the refereeing generally in this tournament. There's a burden of proof, especially, you know, the classic Granit Xhaka foul where like he shields the ball with his body and then falls over when somebody put, not mm-hmm. that I mind him doing it because if anybody's going to be doing it on the pitch, I don't mind us getting the free kicks, but they've been much more firm on those kind of pushover kinds of fouls and just kind of the the soft fouls i've quite enjoyed the refereeing in this tournament or is that just me no no i have as well i've enjoyed it um you're right i think they're letting a lot of things go and even when things have been pulled up you don't you don't have the sort of the jobs worth referees that sprint over and talk to the players it's kind of just like right get on with it you know if it's bad i'll put it up but if it's just a small little niggly foul then we'll just move on and let the game flow which i've enjoyed so yeah. Um, obviously, there was a, a slight talking point today with, with VAR in the Croatia game with the penalty that was awarded for for the Czech Republic. But yeah, I was going to uh, ask you about that one because you had the contrast. You had the Sterling possible penalty in this game, mm-hmm. which I think in certain early games in the Premier League of this season might have been given. Yeah, but, for sure. And, and like it might actually have been a penalty, but I like. Especially when, like, going away from, like, when you're not on goal and you're not threatening the goal, um, that shouldn't factor into it, but it does for me a little bit. I I hate a really soft going nowhere kind of penalty. And Mm. in this one, there's a bit of a trip in there, like, it could have gone either way. But, like, the Schick penalty, well, first off, he's got blood all over his face, he's basically semi-unconscious and he still takes a hell of a penalty so that was pretty good um was that a penalty for you i mean you should be able to jump for a ball without elbowing the guy in the face but on the other hand it seemed like the the pundits were all like that's not a penalty for me i think largely on the basis because that's what everybody does when does when they jump for a ball but if they had these kind of overly constrained rules for handballs for penalties or or whatever, and not getting your hands above your shoulders. Now, I'm glad they've dialed some of the handball stuff back, but I still think mm-hmm. you should be able to jump for a ball and not smack a guy in, on the nose and basically break it with your elbow. But that was just my take. I mean, for me, it's, it's a difficult one, and I understand that some people might view it differently, but I found this penalty quite harsh. Mm. Um, I thought... You know, Lovren was looking at the ball the whole time and obviously he was using his arms for for elevation. There's absolutely no doubt that he catches Schick, um, yeah. as you can see by the, the bloodstream from his nose. Um, but for me, they were kind of just both going for it. And when you're jumping like that, I kind of feel like elbows um, are kind of a occupational hazard i mean obviously you can tell the you can tell the the ones that are premeditated and you know that have been swung purposely but i never got that image from from lovren's jump today i kind of just feel like he was using them for elevation um but maybe i could see it differently i don't know to to other people but for me it was a bit harsh but in the grand scheme of things i could see why it was given but if i was the referee maybe i would have yeah uh waved it off Hell of a penalty, though, wasn't it? Considering, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he buried it. And, like, the school, that's for sure. <laughs> and then he's running around and blood streaming down his nose. I'm like, yeah. uh, it's like being invaded by the Vikings. So uh, that was pretty good. Um, uh, the uh, the other thing, I had a flashback with that Perisic goal, which I thought was pretty good. Um, re- I've always hated that guy for 2011, 12 Dortmund and he he hit that volley that came yes. off. Of, do you remember that? In the Champions League, yeah. For yeah. yeah. I think it was like just a group game or whatever, but I'm like, it was going so well. That was a, a time when we were still marginally better than Dortmund. That was, I mean, that mm. was probably what's-his-face um, coaching them there. Um, and 
like ruined a nice story on the evening with that bloody because I think we that was towards the end of the game we kind of almost had it in the bag and he did that and it was a yeah yeah it was beautifully a screamer right into the top corner with his left foot yeah I remember yeah that. scarred by that one but I guess it didn't yeah. didn't change our season one way or the other but a nice goal he finished here so um, yeah really you know, nice goal actually. And, yeah, and he's the first Croatian player in history to score in four major tournaments. So wow. it's not a bad start to have on your on your back there. So yeah, and he does yeah. seem to have something that um, Scotland don't have so far, which is a goal. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's going to be the real challenge from for Scotland, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm, transitioning from good play into end product. Yeah, I mean, actually, Croatia have been largely disappointing. I know they mm. were they were good in the second half today. Um, they sort of flew out the blocks quite quickly after a lethargic first half. But if you look at their their players like Modric, Kovacic, Rebic, you know, Perisic, these are fully experienced internationals who have won a, a lot at club level. And obviously, they got to the the final of the World Cup last year. But they've been you know, fairly pedestrian, which has surprised me. Um, but on the other hand, I thought the Czech Republic were really good today. Um, obviously, Schick is, uh, has proven himself to be a big threat, but I thought defensively they were really solid. And, you know, uh, Thomas Callas in, in particular, formerly of Chelsea, I think he's at Bristol City now, he, he was really good today um, against some, some tricky players. So, you know, maybe we're not giving them the, 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 the praise They're they deserve. Due. Yeah, the dues, yeah. Yeah, I think I thought people dismissed them a little too much against England. I thought it was a really good England performance, and I think Croatia are still a team, um, and like they should have a pretty healthy and effective midfield. And it felt like in the second half they played a bit, and then they se- they settled into the middle game mindset of you know what a draw wouldn't be so bad, a a loss would be this kind of loss aversion. A loss would be a catastrophic and b traumatic and it's like eh, let's let let's take on scotland scotland maybe to some degree uh, are okay with that gambit and these two guys will will duke it out and see who can get the result and um, the sweden slovakia game anything that was that was a pretty dull affair but for me the standout aspect of the game is this isaac fella and um, mm-hmm. i'd done a little bit of when we were going to get Martin Odegaard, um, I'd done a bit of kind of looking around at games that were available out there to watch, and I saw this Isaac fella. I thought, ooh, he looks pretty good. Um, I didn't realize how young he was at the time because that would have been at least a year or two back. So he, he's been playing them for them up front, I guess, since he was 19, 20, now 21, I yep. think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, he he looked good, but not great uh, back then. But he was 19. Um, He's really starting to come into his own. Uh, I thought he had a real, really good game here. And I know we were mentioned with him. I don't know if that's wishful thinking. I haven't seen that much of it. And I don't know if we're... I think we got to get rid of a striker to buy a striker. And we're not very good at selling. And players are very good at running down their contracts. But what do you think of Isaac as a player? No, for sure. He was the, the bright spark in this Sweden-Slovakia game. There was not a lot Quick of quality feed. at all. Uh, sorry, Sweden-Slovakia. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there was like three shots on target in the whole game or something. And it was just, you know, fairly um, cagey and, and midfield battle kind of thing. But yeah, for sure, Isak, he was one of my sort of highlighted players to watch in the preview pod. And after his good season with Real Sociedad, and I think he's taken that form straight into this tournament. He was good against Spain, um, and he was yeah just head and shoulders above everybody on the pitch today. Really nice touch, strong, quick. Um, I know he hasn't scored yet, but he had a couple of chances. He had a good header saved. Um, I think there was another shot from distance that was saved again as well. So um, if anyone's going to create something for Sweden, it looks like it's going to be him and. I think a few Premier League sides will be will be watching with interest because, you know, this this guy looks to have uh, an impressive base to to work with, but also a nice ceiling to to sort of balance 
sort of gamble on for the future. So yeah, um, for sure, Real Sociedad will be licking their lips at any potential fee they get for him because um, he just looks to have gone up a few levels in the last few months. So yeah, really exciting player and definitely one to watch in the latter, latter stages of the tournament should Sweden um, get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of had dreams of Odegaard getting wrapped up for us and then him helping us pull in Isaac for cheap and uh, get him uh, in the portfolio for the future, but it doesn't look like the Odegaard things. I think he has a 60 million release clause, so you're cheap. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Finger on the pulse, as always. Um, So what do you think of Madison for 60 million, switching gears here? Uh, I mean, I assume we... Here's my assumption, right? We like him. We want him. He's very Odegaard for me, a bit more dribbly, and he's got a few more goals in him, but then he's a couple of years older, so then he probably should. He's reaching Wenger's. They score when they're 23, 24-year-old threshold there. I think he had seven or eight last year for for Leicester. But I assume we're serious about it, but I assume we don't want to pay 60 million. 60 million what's, is what they'd like. And meanwhile, we're looking at other people. But do you see him similarly as being very Odegaard? Not, you know, Buendia isn't Odegaard for me. I, I like them both. I would have loved Buendia, but they're not not the same kind of 10 slash wide forward. But uh, I see a lot of overlap between... Like we were, there was a lot of bitching about it. you can't go for Buendia and Odegaard, or you can't go for this midfielder and that midfielder, or this, you know, these inconsistencies of strategy. But you could persuade me there's a real template if it's Odegaard, but that's not happening. So we're looking at Madison. I mean, I was a, a big advocate for Buendia, even yeah, when he had his breakthrough season at Norwich, I was, you know looking into the numbers and I, I said in that January window I said Arsenal should be looking at this guy because the only way is up for him he was the right age right kind of profile and I'm sure he'll do a good job with, with Villa I think they've done a really good job to, mm. to get him on board very quickly Me so I, re- I really sold myself on Buendia about uh, a weekend ju- the weekend just before the news broke we were getting up yeah. um, I did one of my little scouting spent a day looking at Buendia stuff thinking how he would work for us and the next thing of course it all goes tits up but anyway yeah and in terms of Madison I think it's a lot of money um, but it's kind of what happens when A you're buying from not only the Premier League but a rival and you know he's 24 in English so that is just you know chiching sound effects times 50 for Leicester because yeah. they're going to essentially double their profit and a bit more um, to what they initially spent on him from uh, to sign him from Norwich a couple of years back. But I, I, I like the player. I think he's, uh, for sure, he's talented. He's got like a nice sort of zip about him, good technique. Um, I do like that he scores goals from midfield because we have absolutely nobody who's doing that at the moment, uh, apart from Joe Willock, who is doing it at St. James's Park. Um, so, I mean... <laughs> For me, obviously, if Arteta wants him and, and they're pursuing him, then I have no issue with it. Um, I think he has a high ceiling, so there's definitely room for him to grow with us. But, you know, a lot of people are saying, are going with, oh, he's a, created X many chances since he joined the Premier League and De Bruyne has only done more. But he takes every set piece, every, you know, um, free kick, every corner, which naturally inflates his, his numbers. So I'm a bit wary of that always. Um, But for sure, I've got no doubt that he's a talented player. And um, obviously he missed a large chunk of last season through injury. And uh, maybe there was some uh, injury in quote marks uh, after he fell out with Brendan Rodgers, potentially. There was some rumours going around about that. So Mm. maybe there is a deal to be done if we want him, but he certainly won't come cheap. But um, much like the Ben White deal, it's a lot of money for me. But if we do sign him and the club can afford it, then I don't see any issue with bringing in players of that quality to, to Arsenal because, you know, the only way is up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, slight distraction there from me, but I, I wanted to ask you. Um, right, so tomorrow we're looking at Hungary, France. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do this in the right order. Portugal versus Germany. Yep. 
Spain versus Poland. So Portugal versus Germany looks juicy. Uh, yeah. They both kind of need to do something in that in that uh, game or uh, the group of of death. I think England's yeah. in the group group of osteoporosis at the moment, but these lads are in the group of death, so they they got to really go for it. Um, who do you think will come to the fore? Portugal versus Germany. I mean, I. I just don't get a good feeling from Germany this mm. year. Um, I I think they have a lot of talent from front to back, but I I think the lack of a true number nine will hurt them. Mm. I think they're relying a lot on Havertz and Gnabry and Werner, who you know will score goals, but they're not the guy who's going to score goals. You know they can't look to them on a consistent basis and think, right, you're the the, the guy that's going to start consistently for us be the spearhead and you know we need you to do the business so i think they're kind of in between cycles and figuring a lot of things out so for me i I wasn't impressed at all by portugal in the first game by the way i thought they were much too conservative with two defensive midfielders i thought their attack was very you know they were stepping on each other's toes and there was no sort of cohesion between them but i just fancy them to to see it through like they did against Hungary. So I'm backing Portugal, but only just. Yeah, same here. I mean, Portugal makes all kinds of sense to be a, to, to be a, a factor in this competition. And I guess this is a game to bring it out of them. Um, but maybe it'll be a middle game where they're both a little bit too conservative. Uh, it'll be a chance for Spain to, to pull on their scoring boots against Poland. And I guess uh, we expect France to kind of walk through Hungary. Any anything else you'd want to pick out of those other two games? Um, I think France definitely have a level to go up. I thought they were very comfortable against Germany, and I expect them to beat Hungary. Even though Hungary were, you know, very sort of good, I thought in uh, against Portugal, even if they just lacked. Uh, the ability to see it through and Spain mm. Spain for me is a, is very up in the air uh, much like Germany I think they they lack a true killer up front um, Morata as we know is not the um, is not the sort of the compatriot for XG shall we say uh, the spokesperson for XG because he probably underperforms it every year since birth Um and, you know, Poland, apart from Lewandowski, don't have much going their way at all. So I think it could be another game where Spain are probing, 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 and then hopefully they can put away one of the chances that they get because they didn't against Sweden and, it, and it's cost them. So I fancy Spain to edge that one just about, but I'm not convinced by them either. Mm. I always feel very protective of Alvaro Morata. He seems like a very nice fella, but more than that, he has a career very much like my career was, which was I got into the right places all the time. It was just the putting the ball in the back of the net thing I wasn't so great at. But uh, maybe he'll, like, a uh, bit of confidence. Maybe he'll find his shooting boots. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's the team for tomorrow in those two games. Can these, can Spain, uh, can Portugal, can even Germany find their, their shooting boots I think France knows know where they are. Anyway, I won't listen. I won't keep you any more. Um, I know it's it's getting late where you are. What time is it now? Uh, after midnight. Uh, half twelve. Yeah. Oh, man, you're committed. Uh, you be hitting. <laughs> will you be hitting the clubs now in Berlin? Will you be? No, no. no? They're still closed, unfortunately, at the moment. Uh, so uh, um, I think I'm going to have a cold shower and just stand under there for half an hour to try and regulate my body temperature again. So. <laughs> <laughs> I actually take, here's an interesting fact, well, here's a not very interesting, I take a cold shower every day, do you know that? Every day? Every single day. Even in the winter? Even during the winter, and it is cold in Chicago. But the endorphin release you get is better than going for a run, better than, it is absolutely sensational, and I hate cold showers, but I'm... I was on the internet and I get ideas on the internet and I try them out <laughs> and somebody, do you ever, do you know who Vim Hoff is? I do. The yeah. breathing guy. The right? breathing guy. Yeah, so yeah, like right. I fall for all that shit. So I did the Vim Hoff breathing thing and he had this cold shower thing. So I was mainly doing the Vim Hoff thing for a few weeks and you know, the breathing thing I couldn't work out whether it was doing anything or not. 
And I, so, but I did the cold shower thing because he made me, and I hate cold showers. It's fucking great. I've been doing it for three, four years now. I don't really do the breathing thing. That co- listen, lads and lassies out there, if you're dragging a little bit, and even if you're not, like if I go for a run and have a cold shower afterwards, uh, it's kind of like w- one of those cryo bath things. The body feels really good and it recovers really quickly. If I'm dragging. I have a cold shower. If it's six or seven in the evening and I had a long day and I'm feeling a bit tired, I have a cold shower. And it is absolutely tremendous. And like I'm insensitive to almost everything that everybody else says works. But uh, do it. Oh, there we go. We're not just a football podcast. People. We are not. A smorgasbord. Good German word for you. That's a joke. It's yeah. not really Swedish. Anyway, uh, Phil, thanks for that. Thanks no, for no, the no, little no. diversions. Thanks for yeah. coming with me on them. You'll back be back, back, s- back probably Sunday. Sunday. Is that right? Yeah. But we are going to have a podcast tomorrow. At least Stillers, myself, probably Clive, will be doing a half-baked impression of Phil Costa and some football knowledge. Then you'll catch Phil on Sunday. So that's Indeed. it. Thanks, Phil. Have a good one. Yes, thank you.